Success Voyager Radio, self-development radio for the open mind, interviews with leading edge authors and speakers, and now, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio. This is Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager, and I have with me now Jim Leonard. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bruce. Jim, you... Uh, uh, first of all, I have uh, two very, very interesting books. I had a chance to look over your fondest dream, How to Master the Power of Creativity. And uh, there's just an amazing book. You give uh, these uh, creativity lectures throughout the United States, uh, throughout the world, it appears. How did you come across this idea of being able to control creativity, which all of the rest of us think of as some inspirational thing that happens when we least expect it? Well, I first started teaching creativity because in 1979, I developed a process for causing emotional resolution at the feeling level called vivation. And at that time, I didn't think about it as a way for causing creative breakthrough. But what I discovered was that when people learned how to use that process for themselves, in every case, they became more creative. And so by investigating why people were getting that result, I developed all the seminars and all the stuff that I teach about creativity now. Now, you uh, um, have in your background rebirthing, is that correct? Yes, and I developed a more advanced method for doing what we used to call rebirthing that we now call vivation. Mm -hmm. um, it's different because it's an internal skill. We never thought of rebirthing as being an internal skill. Instead, it was... All right, now yeah. before we go on, why don't we de define uh, what that is and how, yours, how you've changed that? Well, in the beginning, we thought of rebirthing, as the name implies, as a method for resolving birth trauma. And there was a breathing technique with it, and we really knew very little about what caused the result at the time that I got started with it in 1978. And so, I did the original research on what was causing the result, and by finding out what caused the result, I learned how to teach that to people, how to teach them to cause the result directly so that they could actually use the process continuously in their day-to-day -day life and could continuously resolve emotions from any period of life. We discovered that really the process is not about birth, and so we changed the name from rebirthing to vivation. It's really a process for um, changing your relationship to any feelings that you have so that you can shift to a positive context for anything that you experience. All right, so now you're implying then that uh, those people that are still out there doing rebirthing uh, should jump on the new bandwagon. Uh, well, sure. I mean, the, <laughs> the main difference is that you teach your clients a skill. Is, is Instead of simply being m more like a, a therapist where they're more or less dependent on you for getting their results, you teach them how to cause the results, and that causes them to get a lot more from the sessions with you, and also from, uh, they can do it by themselves, and they can do right, it Right, so you're, you're developing now an autonomous technique. Absolutely. Which, which is taking dependency away from, uh, taking, let's say, taking back your power then from the therapist, which is what this whole age is all about. Absolutely. I've been teaching that to people all over the world for 11 years now. You were about to tell us a little bit about uh, some more specifics in vivation. You said something about some breathing techniques. Why don't we just hit a couple specific areas? The real essence of vivation is learning how to embrace your own feeling nature, uh, learning to enjoy everything about being a human being with emotions. 
people think of emotions as being unpleasant, and emotions have kind of a bad reputation. Like, if you were to go down to uh, downtown Santa Barbara and take a survey and say, oh, excuse me, ma'am, I'm taking a survey. Do you enjoy being afraid? I think you'd get a lot more answers of no than yes. And yet, Americans spend billions of dollars every year riding roller coasters and going to horror movies. I love it, I love it. Yeah, and so that... So we want to be afraid. But we're afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, that's more or less it. And so what I teach people how to do is how to actually enjoy all of their feelings, how to enjoy simply being alive unconditionally so that they can actually embrace the emotions that life brings up instead of having to hide from the emotions or having to control other people so that they don't activate your emotions, things like that. Actually being able to take responsibility for your own experience of your feelings at the feeling level. This is not a mental process. And... When you do that, it causes the emotions to transform. Like, for instance, fear transforms into excitement. Um, anger transforms into determination. Um, sadness transforms into gratitude. So it actually changes your experience of the emotion in a profound way, and it causes creative breakthrough. So what you're doing is you've taken what would be considered by some of the uh, mystics uh, negative emotions, and you have found a pragmatic method of, of flip-flopping those to positive. And it's easy to do. What you do is you learn to enjoy whatever you feel in your body unconditionally. And I have even taught this technique to over 100 people with chronic physical pain and helped them to take the suffering out of the experience of chronic physical pain. Suffering is not an inherent quality of any experience. This is far beyond uh, what I imagined it would be. Now, you, this, is, this is nice because, because while it has the therapeutic value, I notice that your seminars begin to move a person right in the direction of how to pragmatically use this everything that i teach is absolutely practical um, the my creativity book your fondest dream is mostly experiential processes that you can use to apply creativity to your life immediately it's not really just um, an entertaining intellectual treatise about the creative process it's actual things that you can do immediately to make improvements to your life and that's what i teach in my seminars um, I also have the very strong opinion that self-improvement processes should be pleasurable and fun. I think that unpleasant self-improvement processes reinforce the idea that there's something wrong with you so that you have to do something just in order to be normal, something like that. I think it's very important for self-improvement processes to be fun. And so all the processes that I teach are very enjoyable. Jim, why aren't adults as creative as children? Well, there's a few reasons, and some of those have to do with the nature of the educational system. See, one of the things is that we're all taught in school to expect there to be one right answer to every problem. And life is not like that. See, in school, if you have an answer on a test that is creative beyond what the teacher is looking for, you just plain get marked wrong. The teacher's looking generally for one right answer. And what happens when people think that way about their lives is that when they have a problem or when they have a goal, they struggle to find the one right way to approach that. They come up with one idea, they find fault with that, and they give up. That's what most people do most of the time. And that's actually tragic. There, there's no need for that. And so what I teach people is how to have reliable access to their creative flow without passing premature negative judgment on any of their ideas. And there's one technique that I teach called discovery writing. It's in uh, both your fondest dream and it's, I teach it in the seminar. And discovery writing is a method that allows you to apply creativity in two to three minutes a day to anything. And 
everybody that I have ever known of who has taken the two to three minutes a day to apply discovery writing to increasing their income has had their income go up as a direct result. Everybody I've known of who has tried that has had it work. So it's... What I like to point out is that not... it. Most people think that some people are just plain creative and other people just plain aren't. But the evidence against that is that all of us dream with infinite creativity several times every night. All of us do that. And dreaming is not something that only takes place at night. We only call it dreaming when it's taking place at night. But there's a part of your brain that is continuously putting thoughts and ideas and impressions together in new ways and other parts of your mind that look for some use to put that to and people block that out of their conscious awareness during the day because they don't want to experience the feelings that come up with some of those combinations of thoughts and impressions and so when people learn to embrace their feelings or when they learn to simply bypass somehow the negative judgmental part of their mind then they can have a very freely flowing access to all these creative ideas and they can put that to practical use in their life and that's that's what i teach people it's very simple very simple things that you can apply immediately to make improvements to your life let's let's use an example here um i think uh, so i can see if i'm getting it right uh let's say i have a job and uh my job gives me a lot of money but it also gives me a lot of stress yeah as a result my feeling about the job is that it's okay, but I wish I had something better. Uh, so if I start thinking about getting something better, I may get something better that's less stressful, but it also might be less money. So as a result, what's happening to me is I'm either going to make less money and do something I like, or make more money and do something I don't like. Now that becomes my, my belief system. And I'm not using any creativity right now. Anything that you don't like puts limits on how much money you can make. Okay. Because nobody's willing to do more of what they don't like. I mean, right. you reach a point where you just can't keep doing that. And it requires that you suppress your emotions and suppress your own physical energy and kind of be at war with yourself to work at a job you don't like. And that interferes with not only creativity, which is the most necessary thing for making money, but it, it interferes directly with doing the work. And so what I suggest that people do is they discover their purpose in life and find a way to, to make their living doing what gives them the most fulfillment. And for most people, not quite everybody, but for most people that means becoming self-employed. And so a lot of what I teach people is how to become successfully self-employed, both to um, handle the business aspect of that well, but also the emotional side of that well. That's mostly what prevents people from being successfully self-employed is their resistance to their emotions. That's mostly what it is. People say that their fear keeps them from making the leap to self-employment. And I always, you know, thank them for that. You know, thank you. I believe that you think that, but that's that's not quite right. It's not the fear that stops you. It's thinking that the fear is supposed to go away first. That's what stops you. See, when you make a, the leap to self-employment, you're supposed to be afraid. It's like the first time you jump off of the high, high dive. If you go up there and you wait till your fear goes away before you jump off, you're going to be up there forever looking like a goat. I see. Yeah. So eventually what you have to do is leap off even if you still have the fear. And so learning how to embrace the experience of fear, learning how to embrace it in your body at the physical level, that's the real key to be to courage. That's the key to being able to do things that are purposeful for you even if they scare you. So that's okay. a big part of what I teach people. All right. So the question uh, to come back to it for a minute then is so why are 
children more creative than adults. Why are adults less creative? What happened? Another thing that happens is that children, as they're growing up, are taught by adults to expect rules to solve problems. And rules don't solve problems. In fact, I recommend that people discard all rules. Actually, live a life with no rules whatsoever. So children, when they start out, are not aware of all the rules that we know about. That's right. And people go around with lots and lots of rules in their minds. Like you can't do this because it didn't work in the past, and that, that means that it won't work now. That's right. What people do is they have some kind of an experience that they, that they make wrong, that they say is a bad experience. And so they say, well, I want to make sure that never happens again. And so they come up with some kind of a rule. And what the rule does is it makes them more rigid in their responses from then on. The rule does not solve the problem. It doesn't prevent the problem from recurring. What it does is it gives them a chance to suppress their frustration with, with a kind of hope. They hope that, that following the rule will prevent the problem from recurring, and all that rules do really is make the mind more rigid. Rules are a substitute for being fully alive and present with the, with the situation you're actually dealing with. When you have rules, then you tell yourself that the situation that you have now is just like all those past situations, and it's not. Every moment is unique, and every situation is unique, and when you live your life from a place of rules, then what happens is you tell yourself that this is just like what you had before, and you miss out on the details that make this situation unique. You miss out on the unique opportunities. So I really recommend discarding all rules. Now, does this, this then creates this natural enthusiasm that, that a person needs? Yeah, where enthusiasm comes from really is from, from two things. One is from embracing your present moment situation as it actually is, letting, letting yourself be fully alive in the present moment, and that includes embracing all of the emotions that are there. All right, now let's, let's be more specific about this, because yeah. you know, you're bringing up a real important point, because a lot of us are not as connected uh, emotionally um, as, as, as you seem to be speaking about. So when you say to embrace all the emotions, a lot of us uh, know we might have one or two emotions, the rest of it is thoughts, or am I thinking about what this is, or what am I doing? So how do we start with that? That's, that's a very difficult area in the beginning. Yeah, well, what I'm talking about, just to be clear, I'm talking about f sensations in the body. I'm talking about feeling your emotions in your body. And I have worked with many thousands of people, including people who started off saying that they didn't feel emotions in their body at all. Now, the reason why people don't feel their emotions in their body is because of their expectation that feeling the emotions has to be unpleasant. And they may not even realize that that's what's going on, but, but they've learned to suppress their emotions over a period of time because of their expectation that feelings will be unpleasant. And so a, an essential part of how vivation works is that we give people a direct experience that their emotions can, in fact, be a source of pleasure and a source of benefit in their life. And once people start to feel that, once they start to feel the transformation of their feelings in their body from unpleasant to pleasant, then it's easy for them to feel their feelings from then on. And that's, the people who have the most to gain from this, really, are the people who start off not being able to feel their feelings. Everybody can benefit from this. Everybody can benefit from the skill of integrating their emotions into their sense of well-being. But perhaps the people who have the most of all to gain from it are the people who start off having a hard time feeling their feelings. We're used to the idea that to be successful, you need to struggle. Ah. This seems to be the, uh, the crux of the uh, American way. 
almost struggle as a value in its own right, yeah. Well, you see, what struggle really exists for is to suppress frustration. It means purposeless action that's, that suppresses frustration. That's my definition of struggle. Um, but could you say that again? Pur- yeah, purposeless? Pur- purposeless action that exists to suppress frustration. That, that's what struggle is. Right. I'll give an example, sort yeah. of an analogy for lots of situations in life that I think will be familiar to people. Um, Bruce, have you ever been in a hurry to get out of the house, but you couldn't find your keys? Yes. Yeah. Now, I what, even have an extra set so I can lose them, too. <laughs> <laughs> what most people do in that situation, when they can't find their keys, is they end up making sort of a repeating triangle, going back to all the places where they already looked, and they've already seen that the keys aren't there, but they go back there anyhow, because they, they're not letting themselves think of anything better so to like do. it's like a loop. Right. That's struggle. Okay, And so the purpose of that is to suppress the frustration that they're feeling. Because it's using hope to suppress frustration. It's like, I hope that if I look in the drawer this time, the keys will be there. I hope that maybe there's some corner I didn't look in before, maybe the keys will be there this time. I don't know how, but maybe somehow. And so as long as the person continues to resist the feeling of frustration, they'll keep running around in circles like that. And finally what happens is that the person has no choice. They go through actually an integrative method that we call forced surrender. They say, I just plain don't know where the keys are. And they kind of stop running around and they settle into that feeling of frustration a little bit. So they allow themselves to feel it. They allow themselves to feel it. And that causes the mind to no longer be tied up with having to suppress the feeling. Okay. And so then they can use their mind more creatively to think of more places to look for So it's like the frustration is a block... If I feel the frustration, I unblock the creativity flow, and now I can finally find my keys, or at least remember where I put them. Well, that's right, except that I want to point out, it's not the frustration itself that's the block. It's the resistance to feeling the frustration that creates the block. Once you let yourself feel the frustration, even if that's not a pleasurable experience, this is what I was talking about, if you just let yourself feel it and surrender to the feeling itself, that's when you'll have the creative breakthrough. It's the effort to keep the feeling of frustration suppressed that causes all the problem. Now, the example of trying to find your keys is like sort of mildly humorous because it's not very important and everybody's experienced it. The problem is that many people live important parts of their lives in that mode where they're always trying to find satisfaction where there is no satisfaction but they keep telling themselves that they should find satisfaction there so they keep trying to do it they keep trying to do the same thing over and over this is like in relationships then exactly relationships are a great example um well the one one obvious example is co-alcoholics getting together with alcoholics. They have this idea in their mind, maybe that someone who's like daddy should get, provide a satisfying relationship, or maybe I can finally get the, the love from daddy is what's going on at the unconscious level. If I can just learn to take care of this guy the right way or something like that. So they try that over and over and over again. Until this is the, the codependency situation that we all hear about so right. much these days. Yeah, and, um, prob- and you're saying there's a solution here then? The solution to it, there, there's more than one solution okay. to it, actually. And, and, of course, this is what you said before. There is no one right answer. Right. Yeah, there's um, there's several possible solutions. Uh, one way is 
for instance, through the vivation process itself, you can learn to actually integrate the emotions that you have been suppressing by going into these destructive relationships. The purpose of going into the destructive relationship is to keep some emotion suppressed or some group of emotions suppressed, which perhaps you would call, I don't know, loneliness or maybe you wouldn't have a name for it. But it's like if you're not in one of those kinds of relationships, there's some kind of an anxiety that's there and it gives you like a compulsive desire to go get into another relationship like that. So you're saying the person is directing themselves into this because of their need for these particular frustration or or, or uh, problems that they themselves may not even have, so they want to get it from someone else? What they're really doing is they're, they're going into these relationships in order to suppress a feeling. There's a feeling that comes up when they're not in that relationship. They go into the relationship in order to make that feeling go away. And they get all kinds of other feelings activated by it. Hmm. But, the real, but all compulsions are driven by a need to not feel something. That's where all compulsions come from. Um, you can use vivation to quit smoking cigarettes, for example. Because what a desire to smoke a cigarette is, it means you have a feeling in your body that you don't like and the thought that if you smoke a cigarette, it'll make that feeling go away. Right. That's what a craving for a cigarette is. And if you can learn to embrace that feeling that's called craving and learn to enjoy it for its own sake, then you won't have the need to smoke the cigarette to make the feeling go away. Now, how does a person enjoy or embrace craving? I mean, because I crave food. <laughs> I don't enjoy that. I like to have the food. That, that I enjoy. Yeah, it sounds harder than it is. We're all accustomed to thinking that happiness will come from satisfying our desires, and that's not where happiness actually comes from. Happiness comes from embracing the present moment being the way it is. And you can learn to enjoy being alive unconditionally. I like to point out that it's an astonishing miracle that you exist. If you think about it in scientific terms, you don't have to think about it in religious terms, if you think about it in scientific terms, all the things that had to go exactly right in order for the, the two gametes to get together to form your body in the first place, it's astonishing if you think about all the things that had to go exactly right. And so you can have an experience that your own existence is miraculous and valuable in its own right in every moment. You can have that any time that you want it. And if you let yourself experience that your existence is a miracle in the presence of craving, you can integrate the feeling of craving itself into your sense of well-being. And that sounds very mental. The vivation process is not mental. It's that you do it at the feeling level. That's a very important thing about it. Talking about it is mental, but actually doing it is not mental. And you can learn to embrace anything that you feel, including physical pain, if necessary. Hmm. You brought up a, a point a few minutes ago when you said, know your purpose in life. Mm -hmm. How does a person, uh, for example, coming to one seminar or reading a book, uh, how can a person know their purpose in life? And is that possible? And if not, then what else does it take? See, there's five and a half or so billion people on the planet, and there's nobody else like you. You're the only Bruce Stephen Holmes that there is. And... What that means is that you have a unique combination of experiences and personal values and other things. That you can use this uniqueness about yourself to make a unique contribution to the world. You can make a contribution to the world that nobody else can make. And that's what I mean by your purpose. And so the way I think about it, your purpose is sort of a combination of something that you choose and something that you discover. You discover in more detail what your personal values are, 
Okay, And from that discovery, you can actually choose what your purpose in life is. And your purpose in life is not the same thing as a goal. Goals are sort of milestones along your path to fulfilling your purpose. Your purpose is something that can guide you through many years of your life and allow you to set goals well. You cannot set goals well without knowing your purpose in life. Most people who try to set goals, or they take a goal-setting seminar, something like that, and without knowing their purpose, set goals that are far more materialistic than how they actually are as individuals. Hmm. That's one thing that happens. Um, how about an example of that? Sure. Well, see, most people, I, I used to lead seminars where people would set goals without, without doing a process to discover their purpose first. And most people would set goals like, well, I'd like to have a really nice car. So whatever a really nice car is for them. A Rolls Royce, let's say. Yeah, have. or they'd set some kind of, I'd like to have $50,000 in the bank. Or they make goals like that. And they, they think that goals like that should motivate them. And so then they go home from the seminar and, God, you know, I have to go do all this stuff to try to make the $50,000. And it's like, ah, I don't want to do that stuff. So they really don't want $50,000. It, it's not something... They haven't determined what wealth is for themselves, right? That's exactly right. Thank you. That's right. Um, wealth isn't money. Money, In fact, money is, is simply a measure of exchange. It's got nothing really to do with wealth. Wealth means having the things in your life be the way that you want them. So, I mean, wealth could be a beautiful sunset. That's an experience of wealth. Or wealth could be having a relationship that works for you. Or wealth could be having a fulfilling career independent of, the, in fact, the money that you make from it. And so that's part of what knowing your purpose is, really, is, is having a sense of what wealth is for you personally. And so once people know their purpose in life, then they can choose goals that are actually meaningful, goals that will actually move them forward in fulfilling their purpose and in making a contribution to the world. And you also cannot manage your time well without knowing your purpose in life. See, if you simply learn a new time management system and it makes you more efficient, if you don't know your purpose in life, that can only make you a more efficient slave to the desires of other people. Hmm. Or another way I like to put that is that if you don't know your purpose in life, someone else will find some purpose to put you to. Ah, obviously in this day and age, a person needs to be able to manage their time. There's too much to do. Absolutely. And there's two most important aspects of time management. One of them is setting priorities, and the other is being reminded what to do next. And so, in setting priorities, you need to know your purpose in life. You need to know what you want to spend your time doing. When people live their lives from a place of having rules, then they end up having a problem called procrastination. Because they're telling themselves that there's something that they should be doing, and they don't want to do it, and so they make themselves wrong for, for putting off doing it. And one of the things that I like to tell people is to use procrastination to their benefit. Um, if what we're talking about is procrastinating doing something that you don't want to do, my suggestion is that you use the time while you're procrastinating to use your creativity and figure out a way to never do that thing. I don't know you, if I understand that, but... If it's something you don't want to do, then figure out a way to never do it. That's the best way to use your time when you're procrastinating. That's a lot better than just watching television or something. So if there's something that you know that you need to do, for example, now we, we talked a few minutes ago about being self-employed. I mean, if there's one thing that's hard about being self-employed, it's the fact that 24 hours a day you've got something that you're supposed to be doing. 
every once in a while you want to sit back and not do anything so then you start to procrastinate now you're saying that I, instead of procrastinating or feeling sorry about it or making up things to do I should be thinking about why I don't want to do what it is I'm supposed to be doing well I recommend that you let go of thinking about should I don't, I don't think that being self-employed is about doing what you should instead what you want to do is set your life up set your business up so that you can do the things that you're enthusiastic about I'm, I've done that. I live my life in a way that I almost never do anything that I'm not enthusiastic about. I'm, it's, it's not that hard to do. You, what you do is you use your creativity to figure out a plan that makes sense for how you can do the things you're most enthusiastic about. And then you try it and learn from what happens and you apply your creativity again. And you just keep doing that and pretty soon you can have your life set up so you do what you want to all the time and make a lot of money out of it. All right, before we talk about this time management system that you have, why don't we f define, just for the sake of definition here, what creativity is according to you? Well, my simplest definition of creativity is very simple. That's making things better. My more formal definition of creativity is on your own initiative, rearranging matter, energy, thought, or relationships in a new way that aligns with your own personal values better than the older way did. And so there's three essential ingredients according to that definition. And those are, you need to know your own personal values. You have to know how you want things to be. If you're painting a picture, you need to have a sense of what good art is for you. If you're setting up a business, you have to have a sense of how you want your business to be. That's necessary for the creative process. Another thing is you need some kind of a method for reducing the barriers between the unconscious creative process that's going on all the time and the, the conscious will. And the other thing you need is initiative or direct action. Creative time management, you call it. Right. Well, I always like to emphasize that the first step in creative time management is knowing your purpose in life. I've already said that. So um, what you need is a system that is flexible enough to allow you to make a plan and yet deal effectively with the inevitable changes that happen. Life is not going to follow your plan. I'm sure you've noticed that. And so you need some kind of a system that allows you to reschedule things and deal with those changes that happen. And so there's two systems that I like to use that work together. One thing is a system that you actually use on cards because cards lend themselves very well to setting priorities. Um, what you do is, for instance, if you have a goal, you figure out all the things you can think of that contribute to achieving that goal. And you break those down into sort of bite-sized pieces so that you don't feel overwhelmed. And you can put those on cards, and you can use the card system both to prioritize things and to decide um, conveniently what the best order is to do things. And so with any kind of a project, the system is very helpful. And then there's another system that works with it that works more like a traditional schedule book, except that it's much more flexible. Um, usual appointment calendars that people use are suitable for appointments with other people, but they're not suitable for actually planning when you're going to get um, a variety of other tasks done, because they're not flexible enough. And so this system is something that you can easily put together on your own. It uh, doesn't have um, any appreciable expense to it, and it allows you to schedule your time very flexibly so that you can be spontaneous and still have a plan at the same time. Okay, you're on the air. Hi, uh, my name's Judy. Okay, Judy. 
And actually, uh, you qualify now for a free book. How's that sound? Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Okay, uh, Judy, you have a question for Jim? Yes, I do. I'm I'm very interested in his process, and uh, one of the major things that I'm having problems with in my life is I'm experiencing a terrific amount of resistance about moving forward. I seem to be sort of bogged down in fear and procrastination, and it's it's keeping everything in my life from working. Um, I, I'm not getting any projects done. I've got piles of papers and books and brochures and stuff all over the place because I, I don't know what I want to do with my life, and therefore I, I can't seem to throw anything away because I think I might need it. And uh, uh, it's, it's just really frustrating because I, I just feel like I'm going round and round and spinning my wheels and not, and not getting anything accomplished as far as where I'm supposed to be going with my life. So I was really hoping that something like uh, uh, um, the seminar or some helpful hints would, would uh, get me moving here. Okay, Jim, what do you have to say to Judy? Well, I'll give a couple of helpful hints, and of course, I'd recommend the seminar. The um, the first thing is that you need to develop a sense that you can do what you want to in your life. It sounds like your mind is all tied up with shoulds and rules, and and there's all these piles of stuff that you should be doing, and all of that. And so. Really what you need is to think in terms of making a contribution to the world in some way that is pleasurable for you. And, and your mind might tell you that you can't do that, that what you would really like to do is something that's beyond you. Thank your mind for that brilliant idea and just move on anyway. And it's useful to get organized, but that's, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to just know what the next step is in taking fulfilling action for yourself, in being able to do something that is actually enjoyable for you. That's, that's what needs to become your focus. Um, instead of focusing on things like how, what your parents taught you you should be doing, or any of that kind of stuff, any of what your mind tells you you should be doing, instead learn to focus on doing what you want to do, and focus on doing what you want to do in a way that serves other people too. All right, how about that, Judy? Well, that sounds like a good start. All right, Judy, thank you for your call. Okay, and thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. That was a very, very important point, Jim. Uh, the fact that the uh, seminar is not just you, as you said, uh, quote, uh, blabbing away. I think if there's one thing that's, that no one wants to do is to go to a seminar and listen to someone purport to have all the answers and walk out and say, well, that's great, now they have all the answers, but I don't. <laughs> right. I'm not interested in leading that kind of a seminar at all. What I do is I help people to discover their own answers reliably. And so there's processes in the seminar that are for helping people to have creative breakthroughs about specific areas where they want those. And there's also processes in the seminar t to give people tools like discovery writing that I mentioned earlier that you can apply to any area of your life and cause creative breakthroughs reliably for yourself. Okay, Jim, we're running out of time. Uh, I was hoping to get the two calls in. It looks like if, unless someone calls within the next uh, few minutes or so, we're going to have to uh, not give away two. I'll take the other one. <laughs> um, how can you sum up uh, such an important issue as creativity and how a person can get everything they want? Uh, how can you sum up uh, this very important issue uh, in a few moments. Is that possible? Sure. You see, 
if you were to take a survey and ask most people, yes or no, will creativity solve all of your problems? Most people couldn't really answer yes or no because they'd be too surprised by the question. People don't think about it that way. Everybody has in their mind something that they think is going to solve each problem. And the answer must be wrong or the problem would already be solved. And so the truth is that the solution to every problem does lie in creativity. And that's also the most necessary ingredient for achieving any goal. And what I'm talking about is living your entire life creatively. I'm not talking about just applying it to the arts or even just applying it to business. I mean living your entire life creatively, each moment creatively, so that you can em embrace being a human being fully, so that you can embrace not just the things that you already have embraced, but also the challenges and even the things that have been unpleasant. You can actually embrace all of that and learn to use all of that to your benefit and to the benefit of the entire world. You can actually learn to make a satisfying contribution to the world through your creativity. All right, Jim Leonard, thank you very much for being on the show.